It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. The Euros have come and gone. Chiellini's passion, Foden's bleach, Pedri's brilliance, Chiesa's curlers, Maguire's magnificent, Shaw's supremacy, Denmark's resurgence, Schick's screamer, Hazard's thumper and Goran Pandev's last hurrah. The Olympics too have come and gone. Tom Daly's knitting, Jason Kenny's long-lasting brilliance, Keely Hodgkinson's record-breaking 800 metres, Kipchogos awe-inspiring marathon, Petey swimming, Dina Asher-Smith, Adam Jamili, KJT all in tears, Galal Yafai, Simon Biles, Sunisa Lee, Rebecca Andrade, Max Whitlock and so on and on. It's all gone, it's all done and now the football returns. Boy, oh boy, what a talent. Wow. I mean, um, listen, this kid, 
I think he'll be the best English player mm. in the and coming years. There's some good years. ones coming through. And there's some great players mm. coming through, so to say that is a big, big statement, but I believe in him. Marcus Rashford scores! Dramatically late again for Manchester United in the Parc des Princes. It's my pleasure to welcome you back to the Manchester United Weekly Podcast to welcome you to the new Premier League season to 2021-22 to a season about fans, about their return, their voices, their stories, yours, mine, everyone else's. I am as excited as I've ever been for the football to begin, I think, and I can't wait to share it with you all. I'm Harry Robinson and with me as always is Jack Tate and today we'll be catching up briefly on the summer, on pre-season, on Jadon Sancho, on Rafael Varane, James Garner, Anthony Alanga, Fakunda Palistri, and then we'll talk about our expectations for the season and finally we'll pre you Saturday's game against Leeds United. Mouthwatering. Um, I've already been looking forward to it for days and these next five or six days are going to be uh, quite something in anticipation. Jack, before we dive into all of that, how are you? How's your summer been? Yeah, it's been good, mate. It's good to be back. Um, I mean, it's been a summer, not of United, that's for sure, but of still of a lot of sport, obviously with the Euros, which I'm sure as, as every other English person... In, in the world I was absolutely <laughs> glued to and then since then the Olympics we were just talking before we started recording that it's been a very pleasant surprise how good the Olympics has been how much of that I've watched so it's been good to enjoy some sunshine enjoy some good sport um, and have a bit of a break from from United and the the tears that they left me in back at the end of May yeah those tears had, and then replicated in the same manner with another penalty shootout, but for England this time, it did feel as England supporting Manchester United fans or Manchester United supporting England fans, it felt like we'd been slightly hard done, but that penalty shootout heartbreak yeah. twice within what, seven, twice eight in six weeks. weeks. Yeah. Yeah. And at, at both times it, it had that same, even if I, let's not talk about that, but in terms of watching sport, I have recovered now from England's defeat. I've also recovered from United's defeat and moved on and feel absolutely fine about it. And Italy were a fantastic team and fully deserved to win. So it was, it was all right. And I loved watching them. And the Euros, uh, actually, before we talk about the Olympics very briefly, but the Euros were brilliant. As a tournament, yeah. it was a really, it was one of, one of the really good international tournaments. It had everything about it. Yeah. Every game felt like it was so good. I mean, there was hardly any games in the whole tournament that I turned on and, then turned off five, 10 minutes later, which I feel like it happens a lot in almost every yeah. major tournament, even throughout the group stages. There were so many teams that were good to watch. And I, I think the fact that they did the um, like third place teams going through from the group, it made it made teams go out and attack more because you couldn't just draw every game and hope to go through. You got one win and it changed everything. You had, you had teams like Ukraine who, even though they were very defensive in the in the knockouts, in the group stages, they played some unbelievable football. Their game against uh, Holland was brilliant. Yeah. Yeah, there were so many games and the games that you you were forced to miss through work or being out or or anything, like I was catching up with it and, and just so desperate that I was missing them and thinking, oh, I wish I could watch this and like going, I remember I lost my keys during the, um, I went to play five aside during yeah. the France-Switzerland game, that incredible game. Um, I missed, I think the first 20 minutes while I was playing five aside and then got back home, realised I'd lost my keys. So spent the next hour being driven around Manchester by my mate, looking in various places for my keys. Um, but all the while had France-Switzerland up on my phone. This stressful situation where I was thinking, it was the day before England-Germany as well, which I was going to. And I thought, if I can't get back into my house, I can't then go to England-Germany. 
so I, I was in trouble, but I was watching France Switzerland the whole time and then finally got back for the last 15 minutes of extra time and this stunning drama. And then Switzerland going through, it was, every game was brilliant, brilliant tournament. And the Olympics as well has massively surpassed my expectations in terms. I've watched everything and just really enjoyed the summer of sport. And like you say, yeah, relaxed sport without United involved. Yeah, which has been, uh, been lovely. I wouldn't say it's been relaxed viewing the whole time for the with the Euros but the the Olympics has been no a, one, a brilliant little break I love watching the Olympics I don't feel quite so invested but it's just brilliant to watch sport and to watch sort of the human side of all those stories um, you know you know the likes of Tom Daly Jason Kenny Laura Kenny all, all of those stories is just it's brilliant to, to watch and, and feel like you're a bit of a part of yeah and I was watching the marathon last night um, we're recording this on Sunday uh, the day, the day the Olympics end, I was watching the marathon last night, just absolutely just jaw dropping. And I, I don't think I'd ever really considered how fast they run the marathon in the Olympics before, because I probably never watched it in full before, but such is the the nature of, of life right now. But I was watching it with a few mates um, and just, yeah, completely jaw dropping at, at the at the speed they run at and yeah I'm, honestly I've been in awe for the last 24 hours just thinking about it. I keep thinking back to it the fact that they run at a, at a pace of two minutes and nine seconds for a kilometre and they do that for pretty much an entire marathon is just yeah. completely beyond the realms of belief I honestly didn't believe it when when they said it on commentary and I, I still can't really believe it that human beings can can do that it's utterly un, out of this world Let's let's talk football. Uh, before we do, just very quickly, a quick explainer for what's coming up on the Manchester United Weekly Podcast this season. We've generally had pretty much the same structure since we began in January 2016 in the uh, the brilliant uh, winter time that was Louis van Gaal's Manchester United. Um, but yeah, pretty much had the same structure. We're, we're changing things up very slightly this year. First of all, we'll be releasing every Monday evening. Um, so all of our episodes will come out on Monday evening and we'll have an episode every Monday. Um, so hopefully that'll be nice and consistent and you can either listen on that Monday evening or Tuesday on your way to work or at work or whatever. We're also going to have um, plenty of new features. So we're going into the new season. Instead of having the same structure every week, we're going to go on kind of a monthly schedule. So once a month, in the middle of the show, you'll get a bumper youth update, five minutes long with a profile of one player and we'll get a guest on to talk about that player. Another time in the month, you'll get a bumper loan update with an interview with a journalist who covers one of that player's respective clubs. So say James Garner goes back on loan to Nottingham Forest, we'll talk to a journalist who's been watching him every week. Uh, another point in the month, um, we're going to have a detailed tactical breakdown, again with a guest, possibly looking at some some detailed analytics as well, but trying to explain it in pretty simple terms, just to look at how United have developed over that month. Uh, another point in the month, you'll have a one historical story coming from the United Through Time podcast, and then there'll also be a bumper women's team update with a guest each month as well. Those will all come in the middle of the episodes. You won't get it in this episode because it's a season preview and we've got loads to talk about. And the final thing to explain before we dive into our pre-season review is, uh, well, Jack, fire away. So anyone who follows our Twitter account has hopefully seen this already, um, but we'll be running our own FPL league this season. Um, just a way for us to connect with you guys and give us all a bit of a chance to hopefully win some money. So it's completely free for everyone to join. Um, we'll be giving out cash prizes to the top three in the league and also the winner of the cup at the end of the season. 
Um, it would just be a, a fun way for all of us to to get involved, do fantasy. I feel like the fantasy Harry got a lot more popular last year because everyone was stuck inside and people actually yeah. actually still did their fantasy team past the first month of the season. So hopefully that continues as well. Um, the code for the league for anyone who's interested in joining uh, will be up on our Twitter account. But for those of you listening now, it's ILWW6H. That's IL. WW6H. Um, but we'll be tweeting both today on Sunday and after the episode comes out tomorrow on Monday, um, with a link to join the league. So again, it's completely free to join. Uh, but cash prizes for everyone was already around 20 of you, um, in the league. So thank you to everyone that's already joined. Um, and we'll give some semi-regular updates about how the league's going maybe every, every month or so. Give a quick update about who's leading, who's, uh, shot up the leaderboard this month, you know, who, who's had the best weeks, et, yeah. et cetera. So we're, we're really excited to, to get that going. Yeah, we'll see if we can put, um, well, I mean, we will be putting our money where our mouth is, but, um, yeah, we'll see. We'll see if we can walk the talk. Um, right. We're going to go to, I was at the Everton game on Saturday, a brilliant atmosphere as, as you will hear in the following clips. And then after you hear a bit from me at Old Trafford on Saturday, then we're going to talk a little bit about preseason and then we'll move on to Sancho and Varane. It's a pretty bleak day at Old Trafford. The rain is coming down, not in sheets, but certainly in strings. Uh, Old Trafford on these kind of days, kind of those white, magnificent white cantilever stands and the grey of the top of it almost seems to reflect white and grey sky that we so often see around these parts until you come and stand in the main forecourt and you see those bright lit up red letters of Manchester United. It's two hours before kickoff, maybe two and a bit hours before kickoff. And there's a couple of people posing by the Holy Trinity statue, a couple of people posing with uh, some replica Premier League, Champions League and FA Cups, what looks like the treble, not that any of those trophies have been lifted around here for a while, certainly not by the red half of Manchester, unfortunately, but things might change this season. Two fantastic signings in Jadon Sancho and Rafael Varane, which we'll talk about more shortly. And it is a, a pretty grim day. It's meant to be raining all day here. Seen a few Everton fans around for what should be a pretty good friendly. It was only a friendly lap, but a good one, an entertaining one, an intense first half, a 4-0 win for Manchester United, a slightly more serene second half, uh, with plenty of subs punctuating the action for both sides. Always happens that in friendlies, and it's a bit of a shame when the first half's been so good. I'm just on the bus home from Old Trafford now, hung around for a couple of hours, um, and yeah, just a fantastic atmosphere, brilliant. I, I cannot explain how much I've missed seeing an Old Trafford, not quite full, 55,000, the main stand was closed but 55,000, 20,000 shy of the, the full thing, but it's just the noise and the, it's, it's the, it's the sounds, the appearance, the smells, it, it evokes all the senses of a full football crowd of that size. It was, it was fantastic um, and I've missed it so much. The weather was terrible, absolutely terrible, pissing rain all day, uh, stopped about an hour after full time, finally. But rain for this one means blazing sun for Leeds United next week, then I'll, I'll certainly take that. But it was just a day for me. I've, I've been to a couple of United games. I've been fortunate to go to a couple during lockdown, and then I was really lucky to get a ticket for the 
uh, for the Fulham game back in May when Cavani scored uh, that lob, uh, one of the 10,000 to get a ticket for that. I was in East Stand for that and that was brilliant. Uh, it was loud, it was emotional, it was fantastic. I, I had a great day. Um, but this was a, another, another step up without a doubt and I'd actually just I had actually just forgotten what what a wall of noise from Old Trafford could, could sound like um, I think a lot of us have forgotten we remembered like having great times there having hearing the noise but I forgot exactly what it sounded like because even at midday 45 minutes before kickoff and early kickoff there weren't many people in the stadium just a, a smattering of people and there were three open stands there were just a few people in each um, and just before midday, Alan Keegan, the stadium announcer, read out the teams for the first time. Just the noise was just just already enormous. Uh, five minutes later, a few more people in. The goalkeepers came out, got a raucous reception. De Gea, Grant and Heaton. And then a few minutes after that, more people are in and the, and the team comes out. And massive noise. And then a special reception reserved for Paul Pogba and Luke Shaw purely because they came out a little later than the rest of the team as individuals but Shaw got a, a hero's welcome for as one of England's heroes of the summer and Paul Pogba um, got a, a, a brilliant reception he stopped to pray by the corner flag and then he sprinted over to join his teammates and then when the rondo came to a little bit of a pause and everyone had a, a slight break from the warm-up he chatted to fans at the front of the Silex Ferguson stand looked in great spirits um, and yeah, and then Old Trafford filled to a level we've not seen in 18 months and the teams walked out and there was a, uh, still a small section of the stadium empty and uh, made the photos look not quite so good but from where I was sat in the press box he watched the teams come out and behind them is that that typical football scene the painting-esque scene of different shades of blacks, blues, browns and reds punctuated by the occasional luminous steward and I have just missed that that's what I mean it's not just the sound of fans it's also the sight that makes these games look so much better and this was a friendly but it, it felt like a, a league fixture Everton fans came in good numbers and were incredibly loud to begin with quietened off a bit after they conceded three in the first half but brilliant noise to start with uh, and United support was, was good it was as you expect for a pre-season friendly it was some moments of big chance but a lot of families coming a lot of kids and, and it was fantastic and for so many kids, this will be their first time at Old Trafford. Uh, and, and for a lot of them, they might have gone once before lockdown and then had to wait 18 months, 19 months to come back again. And uh, you know what kids are like, they would have been waiting um, so impatiently to get back and will just be delighted to be back there and enjoying it. And, and that's great. Um, but yeah, it, it felt like a league fixture. And so all of this might sound like too much for a pre-season friendly, but actually it felt like a league game, certainly to start with. Obviously by the end it didn't. Um, it was just an atmosphere I've, I've not really heard for friendly before because everyone just was so happy to be back. As for the games, two early goals. Good. I mean, Mason Greenwood looked very fresh. He played the full game and then good instinct to pounce on a mistake between Dino and Pickford. Maguire with a great emphatic header from a Luke Shaw cross reminded me of England at the Euros this summer. And United played well. We were bright, confident, looked fit. Um, and as I said in a piece for the United website, there's no better cure for a rainy Mancunian day than a fluid footballing display from the Reds. And Bruno Fernandes added with a great free kick um, after Matic was fouled on the edge of the box, got significant love from the United fans, and then it was made for late on by Diogo Dallo. Um, 
and just when when Fernandez's free kick in, I just went in. I just sat back and looked around at like all these people celebrating, and I just thought it it, it just is special. Just fifty five thousand people reacting to one single kick. And each one of those 55,000 people has their own celebration, their own feeling, their own companion next to them, their son, their daughter, their parent, their grandparent, an uncle or an aunt or a family friend who's taken them. And all of those people have their own personal United story. And that's what that's, I mean, football is brilliant in that way. Um, and yeah, the second half, it, it quietened down a bit. It wasn't quite so good. Fantastic, fantastic uh, afternoon. United better than I expected and then now the, the wait for next Saturday is going to feel like a long one for us all but I mean that's what's brilliant there's little to beat the, the week long build up of excitement towards a big game and I just cannot wait for Leeds United in five, six, seven days time depending on when you listen to this cannot wait Alright Jack pre-season in general um, your thoughts on it for me <laughs> Basically, it's it's been a good preseason. It could have been better. The good parts are, uh, a, in particular, three players: Anthony Alanga, James Garner, and Facundo Palistri. Some brilliant goals, some great atmospheres. Fantastic to have fans back, both at Old Trafford for the Brentford and the Everton games, but also away at QPR and Derby. The the main positive it's it's been a good chunk of time to work on things and listening to Solskjaer and all of the players and the coaching staff that is they've all just really relished that and it's fantastic compared to last season given how what a slow start of it the the only downsides it's a shame it's taken so long for Santa and Varane to get involved and the same with Pop and Cavani but I think we'll be all right on that front and there shouldn't be there's no excuse for a repeat of last year's terrible start to the season now yeah it's been good to be able to have a a slightly more settled start to pre-season we've obviously had players coming back late from the Euros and the Copa America in Fred's case. But in general, I think it's been a pretty good pre-season. I'm, I'm not too too worried about the results or anything. You know, they're completely irrelevant at this stage, but it's just good to know that we hopefully won't get to, at least we won't have the the, the reason of no pre-season if we get off to a slow start this year like yeah. we did last year. For me, the, the standout and the main talking point from pre-season has definitely been Anthony Alanga. He obviously ended last season well. The few good performances got his goal against Wolves and, and that was a brilliant performance for, for, from him on the last day at Molyneux. And he's continued that in pre-season. He's been brilliant. He's proven himself to be a real handful in you know every game that we've played, really. I was expecting him to go out on loan, to be honest, this season. But I think given how well he's played in pre-season... I, I think he'll probably stay now and I think he should be in line for some good minutes as well. Yeah. We obviously have more depth now with, with Sancho coming in, but I think he should be getting opportunities, especially in the Cups, maybe here and there in the Premier League if we get injuries or rotation. I, I think he he's good enough to offer us a lot straight away uh, and I think it's definitely yeah. worth keeping him for this season rather than sending him out on loan. Yeah, he's he's in that strange situation that kind of uh, like like how Newcastle used to go up between the Championship and the Premier League all the time. He's in that kind of situation between the 23s and and the first team where he's yeah. he's too good for the 23s. Although he's he's not quite it's not quite in the same category of Mason Greenwood where it was like this is this is completely 
almost pointless for him because in the under 18s it was pointless for him because he was just far too good and it wasn't helping him it's not quite that level but he's at that point where the under 23s isn't helping his development that much but you also kind of want him in the first team but you can't give him that many minutes so you don't want to send him out on loan and it is a really tricky one and United will have thought about this a lot and to be fair, I remember I've always thought with Alanga, he'd be one of those players that gets his first team chance before he's ready for it, if that makes sense. And and the reason I think that is basically because he's a winger and he's fast. And that means that even if he's not ready for it, those his attributes, incredible pace, incredible acceleration and really direct can kind of cover over the things he needs to work on. And also it means he makes an impression really quickly. And that's why when he came in at the end of the last season, I wasn't surprised he did well. And then I, I won't be surprised if he gets plenty of minutes this season, even if there might be other players in, in the under 23s who are more ready than Anthony Alanga or are more deserving of than Anthony Alanga of getting a chance. And I, I don't think that's true because he's worked incredibly hard, really hard working. He's, he's loved around, um, around the training ground and yeah, the coaches stuff. I don't think anything summed up either Alanga or Ole Gunnar Solskjaer more than when Solskjaer said of him after the uh, Brentford game, he said, he's the kind of kid where if you asked him to go get you a drink from the cricket ground at, at half time, he'd run over there and do it for you. And I thought that was a typical Solskjaer press conference quote and also <laughs> summed up Anthony Alanga's character. Um, but another one. I, I think Rashford's injury, just before you move on, I think Rashford's injury might open up a few more opportunities for Alanga at the start of the season as well. You know, obviously Rashford probably won't be back until it looks like it could be October before we see Rashford on the pitch for United again. So that might also open up a few more opportunities for Alanga. You know, I've obviously got some early season cup games in the, the League Cup in the next couple of months. And I think they will be good opportunities for him. You know, the likes of James or Greenwood is probably, I guess we could start Martial on the left as well, but they're probably going to be playing a good chunk of minutes in the Premier League. So rather than them playing in the League Cup, as they might, may otherwise have done, it's going to have to be Alanga probably that steps up, which will probably be good for him to, you know, just get his teeth into the season early. Yeah, I think you can chalk in that, that, what, that League Cup third round will be the kind of 20th of September, roughly. I can't remember exactly, but around that time, you can kind of chalk Alanga in for a starting position in that game already. Yeah. Um, and obviously, we, Ahmad is coming back from the Olympics where he he played all right for the Ivory Coast. They did okay. Him and Eric Bay, um, they were knocked out in the round of 16 by Spain, I think, possibly the quarterfinals. Knocked out by Spain after extra time. And Ahmad did well. He got an assist in the group stages and, and looked lively again. He was, uh, I think people were pr- pretty pleased with him, but he, he's coming back from the Olympics. He's quarantining now after flying back from Japan so he won't be involved in the start of the season. So again, that kind of shifts Ilanga up the, the pecking order again. So yeah, he should get a few at the start of the season. It, it might be that he sticks around with the first team until January and then heads out on loan once Rashford's back, once Sancho's settled in, once Ahmad is getting more minutes, etc. And and that that's no bad thing. I think that, that would probably work quite well. The others who are impressed, Pelistri, I thought looked really good and uh, I wish him very well at Alaves. I think it's, it's good for him to go and get a full season of minutes. And I think we'd all kind of forgotten, well, we hadn't forgotten about Fagunda Pelistri, but he had evaded our attention for quite a while. And he kind of reminded us that he's a really good talent and he's an exciting one to keep an eye on for probably two years time, three years time. Yeah, absolutely. I think he's been a something of a forgotten man, I think, since his move to United. He obviously hasn't, Hasn't been given many opportunities to really prove himself. And I think Ahmad coming in and looking so good straight away, at least Ahmad looking very exciting, has, has really overshadowed Fecundo Pellistri. But he's had some really good performances for the under-23s. 
He's looked really good this preseason. I think going out on loan is probably the best best option for him. I don't think he would have got too much of a look in at United this season. And it, you know, it's a complete waste to just have him on the bench or in the reserves. And I, at this point, as you say, I don't think he's at a point where the under 23s are is a waste for him. He still would have learned, but I mean, he's, he's going to learn so much more being in Spain at Alaves than he would in the under 23. So I think it makes sense for everyone. Yeah, I think that's true. Um, definitely one to keep an eye on. The the final one is, is James Garner, who's come back from Nottingham Forest. He's bulked up a bit. He's certainly toughened up a bit. And his future is an interesting one because he he's a clearly a, an incredibly clever midfield player with great vision, great ability to play the passes that he can see. He's bulked up, he's improved the defensive side of his game at Nottingham Forest. And it is another difficult decision, the same as with Anthony Alanga, as to where you send him, if you're going to send him out on loan. There's a chance that he could be United's fourth or fifth choice midfielder. How much is that going to benefit him? I'm not sure, but he could break into the team. The other options, you send him to a lower table Premier League side. That's also difficult because what if he, he's probably only going to get 15 starts over the course of the season. I think you're probably best off sending him to a good championship side where he's going to play 45 times in a season and get some serious experience. And, and really, you're going to find out whether he's good enough there. But certainly a player who who impressed over preseason. Um, in terms of tactical changes over preseason, there didn't seem to be many possibly a slightly higher defensive line, but no big formation change. But some people expecting us to go into a 4-3-3 instead, but didn't, hasn't, yeah, it hasn't really been no, anything no real signs of it so out. far. Everything seems to be pretty much as it was at the end of last season. And to be honest, I don't expect there to be many huge changes from the way that we set up. I think the signings that we've made, which we'll obviously come on to, I don't think they really change too much about the profile of Man United. I think, we will probably still stick in this 4-3-3, 4-2-3-1 system with the occasional three at the back game. As we've, as we've seen from Solskjaer for the last couple of years, I don't really see any reason to change. Nothing is, I don't think we saw any particular signs last season that those systems needed changing. I don't think we've signed anyone that, you know, makes those systems different. So I expect us to, to be pretty much the same team in terms of how we set up, just hopefully more effective in how we execute. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there is the opportunity to go and play in a 4-3-3. The problem is to do that, you really need to bring in a brilliant defensive midfielder so that you can then play with two eights. And United aren't going to do that, it doesn't seem. The only, the only other interesting thing is when Solskjaer was talking about Varane, I think after the Brentford friendly, uh, the day after we'd announced that we'd agreed a deal for him, he mentioned that we might be able to play three at the back now that Varane's coming in, which is an interesting idea because I think I think he might have been saying it to kind of quiet in the idea that Victor Lindelof was finished because Varane was coming in. I think maybe going for the idea that there are now three first choice centre-backs at United is what he was going for, but it is interesting. And I think what's certainly true is the arrival of Varane and Sancho and the fact we've kept Cavani. United suddenly have a lot more options as to how we can play and formations we can use, which is only a positive. Um, so let's talk about Jaden Sancho first. Everything has already been said, but a fantastic signing, a fantastic price, fantastic age. There are no downsides to Jadon Sancho coming to Manchester United. And we've waited a long time for this and I cannot wait to watch him play. He's exciting. He'll fit in perfectly with the squad in terms of the type of player, but also the type of person. He's excited to be here. I just cannot wait to be at Old Trafford and watching Jadon Sancho play, even with the number 25 on his back, not the, the number seven. 
Yeah, I mean, there's not much more for us to add on Sancho. This is a thing that's been analysed to death over the last two or three years. But I, I think, to be honest, not only are there known downsides to the, the signing, I've got to say, for once, I actually don't think I can really fault the club's process in this, despite the fact that we wanted him so much last year. You know, the club clearly had some some targets they wanted to hit in terms of how much they wanted to pay for Sancho. And, and the price being quoted last year was astronomical, especially when the you know, the pandemic was just sort of getting started and the financial hit from that. I think ultimately we've ended up saving around 30 million, which is absolutely nothing to sneeze at when you consider that that's effectively what we just spent on Varane as well. I think you've got to give the club some credit, despite how terrible we've been in the transfer market in recent years. I think this is actually of uh, great credit to to everyone involved. I think the process with, with Sancho was was very, very good and it made a lot of sense. And it really is a signing with, with no downsides. Like you said, the right age, the right profile of player in a position of need. You know, I, I mean, it, there's no guarantee, obviously, that Sancho's going to come in and be the player that we want him to be. But regardless of the outcome from here, Sancho is a fantastic signing and there's no two ways about it. A fantastic signing. Yeah. I think it's the, it's, it's the perfect move for all involved. I think he'll take a couple of weeks, maybe a few weeks, maybe a couple of months even to really get going at United. And I think his numbers of goals and assists will drop down a bit from what he's done in Germany. But I think by the end of the season, we'll be seeing him at, at his best. And I think he's, he's going to be brilliant. He's going to help Wambasaka to get better. He's going to help to stretch teams. He's going to create more space for the rest of the players. And most importantly, he'll set up goals and he'll score goals. And that is what we want him to do. And he'll make the side so much can, more balanced as well. You know, we're so left side exactly, dominant yeah. and we have been for, for years. And finally, we have a, a right winger at pretty much the same level as our left winger. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And you're, you're now looking at a front three when everyone's fit again. With you have six players up front as your main players, and and your first choice is probably Rashford, Cavani, Sancho. But then it's the understudy to Rashford on the left. Perhaps you have Martial or Greenwood, and then you have Martial as under. Basically, you've got Martial, Rashford, Greenwood, Cavani, Ahmad, and Sancho, and that's a really exciting six. All of who except. Um, Cavani who's a striker and Sancho who's a, a winger can play in all of those positions and that just that gives you endless possibilities it gives United the chance to have a front three which which is much more fluid than we've seen in the past and we've kind of seen hints at that in the past when we've had uh, Rashford, Marshall and Greenwood all playing together um, so yeah I'm just and adding Dan James and Anthony Langer into that as yeah, well yeah. you know who we didn't even mention yet and Obviously, they won't get probably too many minutes, but just the options that we have up there are, it's, it's, it's really, really something to behold, the options that we have. Yeah, absolutely. Strangely enough, though, is the better signing Rafael Varane? Maybe, yeah, to be honest, it, it potentially is. I think, I mean, I, Varane, honestly, when the links started at the start of the summer, I basically discounted it from my mind. I just thought there's absolutely no way... We've been down mm-hmm. this road too many times before, both with, with Varane and with Real Madrid centre-backs in general. Yeah. Um, the, the United are often used as as like a, a stalking horse, really, just to get a new contract. But it actually happened. And to be honest, I, I mean, it's, it's a great signing. I, listen, I think Varane, I don't think Varane is quite the centre-back that he was a couple of years ago. I don't think he is. I, I wouldn't put Varane up there as, as sort of one of the top two or three in Europe, but he's definitely in that group behind that. And I think, despite the fact that I do think he has a mistake in him at times, I can't fault this signing again because he is... What I loved about this transfer window, despite the fact we've only signed two players, and I, you know, we obviously, I think, wanted more than that, and we'll come on to that in a second. 
what I loved about the two signings we've made is that not only are they good players at a decent price, but the profile of those players is exactly what we needed. And it, to me, it just shows so much, a so much clearer thought behind our, our strategy in the transfer market that we haven't seen for a number of years at United. It used to just be just throw money at something and hope that it sticks. But there's so much more thought in it now. And Varane, even, even take away the, the name, but a centre back who is very good on the ball, has exceptional pace and is very good in the air. And his, and his strength is one on one defending and being a sweeper is exactly the kind of centre back we wanted to partner Harry Maguire. Because those are all Maguire's weaknesses. We've said constantly in the last year or two that we need someone who's faster than Victor Lindelof, who is better at being a sweeper and is more comfortable on the ball. And Varane ticks all of those boxes. Add in the fact that it is Raphael Varane, serial trophy winner, multiple Champions Leagues, World Cups. Yeah. And all of a sudden for 34 million pounds as well in this market is an absolute steal. Yeah. It's just, it's a signing that reflects the stature of Manchester United, or at least what we think the stature of Manchester yeah. United should be and hasn't been for the last few years. It's also probably the declining stature of Real Madrid at the moment as well, which is yeah. quite funny to yeah, watch. Absolutely. And it's nice to nice to take away one of their good players rather than giving them one of ours. Um but yeah, you only hear good things about Rafael Varane. And as you say, just all of those trophies he's experienced, he's, he's done the lot. And I think one of the good things is he wants to challenge. He wants to be in the Premier League and he wants to be at Manchester United. And I've heard things this week about just how he's really self-analytical. He does loads of analysis, always asking video teams for for more that he can get stuck into at home. He watches other players to learn from them as the best players do. And just everything about him sounds like the, the proper professional with genuine ambition to do something at United. And yeah, a proper Manchester United player. And as you say, the perfect partner for Maguire, but also will help cover some of Wan-Bissaka's weaknesses as, as well, I hope. In terms of what more we want, I think obviously a, a defensive midfielder, it's a shame that that's not going to happen, it seems, without without sales happening. And I can't see us generating enough from sales unless Pogba goes, which I don't think is going to happen. I think he'll stay. Uh, the only players I can think of that we'd sell are probably Andreas Pereira and Diogo Dallo, and they're not going to generate enough. And I think only one of them were going to be able to shift anyway. Everyone is struggling to, all the big clubs are struggling to sell players that they don't want at the moment. So we're going to struggle on that front. So I can't see us bringing a midfielder in, which is a shame because I think if we do, then suddenly you're looking at a team where you think, yeah, title. Yeah, it's we really it really does feel like we are basically a, a midfielder away at this point. You know, I think we we already were get, getting there last season. We saw a lot of progress from the players that we already had. We've added two very, very good signings already. This summer has been a bit of a double-edged sword because... It, it's been great so far in terms of the signings we've made. Sancho and Varane, like I said, are excellent, excellent signings and I really can't fault either of those. But in some ways, it's doubly frustrating that we haven't managed to get that midfielder across the line because it feels like we are so, so close to being right there as a genuine, genuine challenger to the likes of City, Chelsea, Liverpool. But then I just, I look down at our team and I, I'm still so unsure about that midfield. I just don't know if... Well, I think I do know, and I don't think we can. I don't think we can be a consistent enough team to win a title with McTominay and Fred as our primary options at defensive midfield. I, th- I think the problem is you're basically looking at how many more points can we get from last season. Bear in mind that last season wasn't enough to win a title, even if City hadn't been as good. 
and I think you're looking at with how much City have spent again and how good their team was already with Liverpool's, well, predicted resurgence, assuming, I think, I don't think Liverpool's start, I feel like Liverpool could have a shaky start and then come into themselves once Van Dijk and Gomez settle again. But I am expecting a lot from them. Uh, plus Chelsea, who I just get this sense that they could just steamroller teams, just absolutely batter people in, in the same way that Mourinho's Chelsea did with, with Drogba up front. I just get, I just have this fear about Chelsea at the moment who just being able to just absolutely steamroller people. You've got those three teams. And so the team that's going to win the league is probably, possibly, I think going to have at least 90 points, possibly kind of mid nineties. Can United get to that? I can't see it happening. And that, and that's the, the truth. I think, unfortunately, the three teams around yeah. us are very good. City are silly. Chelsea are terrifying. Liverpool will come back. There's a chance we could be less fortunate with injuries. And, and there's lots of, I guess it's straight. We probably have quite a well-established top four this season. And maybe it's premature to say that. And it seems strange because Leicester City are, are very good. They should make yeah. a decent go of it. But none of those four clubs should finish outside the top four. It should be City, Chelsea, United and Liverpool as the top four. What all of that's in, some of it's going to come down to luck. Some of it's come, going to come down to injuries, down to fixture scheduling, all of this. But I think ultimately I see United finishing third. Yeah, I, I think you've seen this this summer you've seen that top four kind of separate themselves from everyone else rather than the likes of Arsenal and Tottenham and Leicester closing up. I think you've probably seen them honestly move closer to the teams behind them like Aston Villa who have made some some great moves despite losing Grealish. I think in terms of United, I did a, a short um, write-up of a season preview for Racing Post Sport recently and I said, I, I don't think I can really give a position but I can probably give a points total and my prediction was about 85 points and I stick by that. I think you know, we I think we ended was it seventy nine we ended on last season, and that was with you know a dodgy finish brought on by ridiculous scheduling and everything. I think mid eighties is achievable for this team, and I don't think that would require anything particularly crazy to happen. You know, I think mid eighties is probably where this team is at the moment, and that would be about expected. And that has won the league before, but as you're saying, it, this is not a this is not a weak top of the table. This is probably one of the strongest set of four teams that the Premier League has had in a long time. And I do see it taking more than 90 points to win it. Is this United team capable of it? Maybe, but I think it would take everything to go right for this United team to get anywhere near that. And I just don't see it happening. I think I see us between 80 and 85 points and what which position in the top four that puts us, I don't know, 100%. You know, everything is... There's always something unexpected in the Premier League, so it could yeah. it could happen that one of those these teams falls off, gets terrible injury luck, or yeah. you know we have a surprise from one of those teams that I just mentioned from sort of fourth down to seventh. But I, I would probably guess second or third with around 85 points at this at this moment in time. I think without a midfielder coming in, it's just difficult to see us being able to get up to that 90, 92, 93 point mark. Yeah. And it is worth noting that the, the pandemic has had an effect on the market. But, and I think a lot of us immediately thought, oh, people won't spend as much. But what's actually happened is the big clubs can all still spend the same amount. And the, the disparity has just got back to the levels it was before the TV deal and the Premier League kind of leveled things out for a bit. So we haven't seen... Leicester and Everton spend as much as they did in the last few years, but we have seen United spend over a hundred on Santa and Vram. We have seen City buy Grealish for a hundred. We seems like we're going to see Chelsea buy Lukaku for almost a hundred million pounds as well. Uh, Liverpool bought Konate. Haven't spent quite as much, but I think they 
probably do another couple of smaller deals before the the window ends. Um, it is worth noting that you say everything going right for United, and that, that is kind of the positive, though, isn't it? That United winning the title isn't out the question. It's just not what we think is going to happen. But there are so many things to be optimistic about, and if a few of them happen, not even all of them, you're suddenly thinking, "Wow!" That say say Anthony Martial finds form again. Say Mason Greenwood really starts to kick on. Um, say Varane just settles in immediately straight away and and has a uh, hate to say it, Van Dyke. It's a cliche now, really. Van Dyke esque um, impact or or Bruno esque impact even. Say Jaden Sancho just absolutely lights the Premier League up. Say our set pieces are sorted by the new coach, Eric Ramsey. Say Donny van der Beek starts to break out. Paul Pogba has a really consistent season for the first time. There is all of these things. Maybe two or three of them could happen and suddenly think, wow, yeah, United are going to be a really good team. But yeah, I I don't think, I think just City have strengthened too much and they they are just too good anyway and I'm, I'm concerned about Liverpool as well and interestingly when I was thinking about this I, said I the, thought the Lukaku signing really changes everything for me as well because to be honest yeah, I've been yeah. I've been a lot lower on Tuchel's Chelsea than most people I know they won the Champions League but to be honest I wasn't particularly impressed with a lot of their play last season that going forward they would they just weren't good to watch and that was probably a lot of my bias against them because I just didn't enjoy watching them just watching them play even though their results were good but getting that world-class striker in in Lukaku I think does change everything for Chelsea and that puts them above United I would say in my sort of pre-season expectations I, I would probably put United actually with Liverpool and I think Liverpool have sort of fallen behind a little they obviously still have a, a very very good team but I think City and Chelsea have just separated themselves from everyone else. City obviously already were a cut above the rest, bringing in Grealish just strengthens that even further. And Chelsea ironing out really their one, maybe not problem area, but the one area where you, you look to them and thought they might be a bit short. It changes everything to me. And yeah, yeah I, I think, think about that Chelsea front line and you think about Havertz linking between Lukaku and Werner. And we saw, I mean, we know Romelu Lukaku well. When he's at his best, he's unstoppable. He's a brilliant finisher. He can just shrug people off. And also what he does really well is run into the channels and win the ball there and hold up the ball incredibly well and create chances for other people as well as himself when he's at his best. And at the moment he is at his best. And we know that Timo Werner's pace running down the channels is incredible as well. So you imagine Havertz, if he can find this form as well, which I kind of expect him to do so after a year in England. Havertz linking between Werner and Lukaku is a scary, scary prospect with goal scoring contributions from Mount behind. Yeah. And if, and uh, yeah, and Jorginho having a, a great season and Kante, it, it, yeah, Chelsea are a scary team. And, and the, the truth is with Chelsea is they always have a couple of years off and then a couple of incredible years. And that's how they're, they're, they're ruthlessly run. And they are the most yeah. successful club in England for the last decade. And it's exactly because they're utterly ruthless. They're also, I would say, a team that they, they seem to defy expectations a lot. They're, I remember there have been so many seasons recently where you go into a season and just think Chelsea are completely dead and buried and they end up pulling something out of the bag. And there are other seasons where you go into it and think they're nailed on to be the, to yeah. win the title and everything falls apart. You know, you remember the start of last season, everyone thought Chelsea would, or in fact, sorry, the season before, everyone thought Chelsea would, were doomed, you know, with Lampard as coach, the transfer ban, yeah. they had a decent season. And then it, last season, everyone thought Chelsea were going to run away with it. Well, along alongside City and Liverpool, we're going to, you know, run away from everyone else and it didn't happen. 
that they're, they're, they're a strange team and that they stuff just seems to happen to Chelsea that no one expects. So we'll see what happens with them this season. But at the moment, I'd probably put them just behind City as, as second favourites. Yeah, I think my optimistic prediction at the moment or very, very mildly optimistic would be City, Chelsea, United, Liverpool. I think the pessimistic one would yeah. be City, Chelsea, Liverpool, United in fourth. But I, th- yeah. I think we should be finishing third. And I, it's, I mean, it's a weird one because I, th- I think this season, to be honest, because of how congested and how good the quality is in that top four, it's a weird one because I think there is a very, very likely scenario where United have a good season where we get considerably better than last year and end up moving down two spots in the league. Yeah. I think we could we could we could become a much, much better team and still finish fourth. Yeah. And that's quite a disheartening feeling when you think it is, yeah. Obviously, obviously we judge so much on the on the the league position, but I, th- I think even in terms of points, we could go to 85, 86 points and still potentially finish fourth. Yeah. I'm sure that won't actually happen, but you know, I think there is an argument to be had that the league position actually could get worse, even if United still have a decent-ish season. It is worth remembering that the quality in the rest of the league is going to be pretty good next year. If you think about it, Leeds are going to be even better, I think. I think Leeds will have another good season and, and, and keep building on. Arsenal should be better. Spurs, well, Spurs will be better all round over the season. They were great for about a month and then terrible for the rest of it. But Spurs should be a little bit better. Leicester going to build again. They haven't lost any key players. And you look down the rest of the side and Aston Villa should be there. There is quality all over the league as there has been for a few years. But it's worth remembering that when we talk about 90 points that maybe it just won't be possible because other teams are really good. My final, I'll give you my final wild prediction before we talk about Leeds as the game rather than Leeds United, the football club. I'd say we've got more chance of winning the Champions League than the Premier League. And if we're going to finish third, then we absolutely have to win a major cup, which I mean, there's only two. It's the FA Cup and the Champions League. And to be honest, the FA Cup probably wouldn't be enough. So we've got to go and win the Champions League if we're not going to challenge properly for the title. And the truth is that I think Ole Gunnar Solskjaer is a Champions League manager rather than a title winning manager. And I think United as a team are possibly a Champions League winning team rather than a Premier League winning one with uh, with the, the strength and the sheer quality of players like Varane, Sancho, Maguire, Shaw, Cavani. Those are players who with individual moments of skill can get you through really difficult, high quality Champions League games. And I'm not predicting us to go and win it this season, but I think with the team and with the manager who can pull big game performances out, can pull tactical surprises out, but sometimes can get found out over the course of a month of in, during a season. And the truth with the Champions League is that you, you just don't have to be as good to win it as you do for a Premier League. The real test is the Premier League. The best team in England is the one that wins the Premier League. That's why City were the best team last season, not Chelsea. And Chelsea are the perfect example. You look at them, all you have to do in the Champions League is get out of the group stage and you don't know what can happen. Chelsea last year are the perfect example. Tottenham a couple of years ago, Atletico and, and Juventus and Dortmund in recent times too, even us in 2011. And so we have to, we have to get out of the group stages convincingly and then we have to go and put a serious run together because once you're at the quarterfinals then you're thinking right let's go win it yeah and, and so much of that comes down to the draw as well in the Premier League obviously everyone, everyone playing yeah. the same the same teams twice throughout the course of the season you know there's not there's not much variation that happens really you know throughout the season like you said the, the best team wins the Premier League and that's kind of un, undisputed the difference in the Champions League though is that it is very possible that you can have 
a relatively easy group. And then you basically, you play teams that you're kind of expected to beat. And, you know, I'm looking at Chelsea's Champions League run last year. And don't get me wrong, Chelsea were played fantastically throughout this Champions League run. But Atletico in the last 16, then Porto in the quarterfinals was, you know, one of the easiest draws you could ask for. A Real Madrid side who really didn't offer much at all in the semi-final, outside of Karim Benzema and Luka Modric, didn't have a, a ton of quality. And then obviously beat City in the final in a, in a one-off game. And I think, you know, it, it can happen. There are, it's easier for a team to go through the Champions League not being the best team and still come through. And it's the same with any knockout competition, to be honest. The Champions League, because it's two legs, there is slightly less of that. But there's so much variation in the draws. All it would take is, you know, let's say let's say uh, Bayern Munich and PSG get drawn together again, like they did last time in a round before the, the semi-final. Then, you know, again, that opens up the competition massively, especially if then there's another surprise, say a City or a Chelsea don't make it through to the semi-finals and we do. The competition opens up and then it's just one or two games here and there. I'm with you that it needs to be, if, we, if we're not finishing, especially if we're, if we're finishing third or fourth, a trophy has to come with it, whether it's the FA Cup or the Champions League. We'd obviously prefer the Champions League, but we're getting you know, a bit ahead of ourselves. But I, it has to. this has to be the trophy season. And I think Varane in particular, I fell into this trap earlier in the podcast. So I hate, I hate appraising a player purely based on what they've won because it's so it's so much more than just that individual yeah. player in football yeah. but I think with Varane in particular when it's we've that seen many. that this team when it's that many and also we've seen that this team is capable of winning trophies we just haven't been able to get over the line and that experience of knowing how to win I don't think it changes Varane's quality but knowing how to win in this team that is a quality that we need it also is it's a little bit about quality because Varane is he's, he, he's a great one-on-one defender because of his pace and so he suits the Champions League. As in, when you when you think about the great players in the Champions League, if we were going to go up against PSG, you'd be so much more confident with Varane there just because you think if, if Varane and Mbappe come up against each other, if Varane and Messi or Neymar come up against each other, I'd still, like for a lot of the time, I'd still back Varane. And obviously he's going to get dribble passed at some point during the game. Obviously he's going to get done at some point in the game. But over the course of the game, I'd be confident in his ability. So... <laughs> He's a he's a huge reason, and, and Cavani as well. Um, to have a, a serious goal scorer like that, who's probably if we're gonna maybe we'll start in a serious Champions League game, but maybe come off the bench. And so my stupid, ridiculously stupid, but optimistic prediction for the season is we're gonna finish fourth and win the Champions League. And on that note, let's talk about Leeds on Saturday. Uh, something else I'm just so looking for. I cannot wait. I've rarely been more excited for a game. 75,000 at Old Trafford. It's going to feel utterly surreal, but also just, I'm just going to be grinning all day. And I just hope that the game lives up to what we're all expecting. And to be honest, I can't see it not because for both teams, Leeds will bring an incredible away support. The atmosphere is, it, but from both sets of fans, it's just going to be out of this world. I think both sets of players just will find it impossible not to respond to that. And hopefully we see another stupid, ridiculous pinball game like the 6-2 back in, in December 2020. I think you'll probably see the start of the season in the Premier League just be wild to be honest I think I just I just want to see carnage I want yeah, to see carnage and, and I think we will if we're ever ever in for a month of just pure chaos I think this is it you know fans being back in the stadium the atmospheres are going to be off the scale and players I think will respond to that we saw so many games last season where you could just sense that the players that the atmosphere was so flat and it just meant it just created such 
tired games, didn't it? Like, remember the home game yeah. against Chelsea, the nil-nil? I mean, that was just yeah. so drab. It was a pointless game. Yeah, it was. And it was the kind of game where having a crowd in there just changes the feel of the game so much. And so I think we are going to see some some probably pretty outrageous results in the first month or so. And I can't wait, to be honest. I cannot wait. I, I'm with you. I've rarely been so excited for a season. I think for a few reasons, obviously fans coming back is a huge part of it and it will just feel so, so, so good to see fans back in the stadium and be able to watch football again and it feel normal and to see and to feel like you're part of something. You know, I, that's kind of what I missed from watching watching football with no fans that you just feel so disconnected from it. So I'm looking yeah. forward to that, obviously, but also for United in ourselves, I'm excited to see us play again. I missed watching us over the, over the summer, despite how the sour note that the season ended yeah. on. I feel so connected to this group of players. And I think that that's held true for a, a couple of years now. And especially with the new signings that we've made, that I'm also so excited to watch. I, I can't wait for the season. I really can't. And like you said, Leeds in particular, you, you couldn't ask for a better game because it's a game that we should, it's a, it's a game that you sh- we expect to win. So it's not quite, you know, like playing City or Liverpool or Chelsea where it would be a big game, but you're also like, oh shit, like we might not get off to the best start yeah. here. It's a game that on paper we should win, but it's still a game that you can get up for massively. Yeah, we, ha- we have to win. I can't deal with us not winning. We just absolutely have to win. In, t- in terms of, there's, I don't want to talk about the team too much. I just want to talk about the excitement. But yeah, I just, it is just, yeah, feeling part of something. And I just at the Everton game, I, I had a brilliant, I was working at the Everton game, but I had a brilliant time just looking around and watching 55,000 people celebrate four goals. I just thought this is, I, I'd forgot, I'd just forgotten how good it was. I knew I missed it, but I'd, I'd honestly, I'd just forgotten how loud uh, that many people could be, how different sport it was and that was for a friendly where Everton were terrible they looked so off it but <laughs> Leeds is just I, I'm not sure we'll have seen anything like it before I, I really don't I just hope it, it all goes smoothly everyone can get into their seats fine and there's there's no problem because United have moved to kind of cardless tickets on your phone so I'm hoping that causes no problems but um, yeah it should be exciting I think we'll probably see Varane and Sancho start on the bench I think possibly Sancho could yeah. start but I don't I don't think Varane will make it um, I think Mason Greenwood Mason Greenwood looked really fresh against Everton and I'm, I'm excited to see his start of the season I think he could go, do well I think I'm going to on the subject of, of fantasy Premier League I think he's probably going to get into my team for the start of the season I feel like he's Ready for a big burst at the start of this season. Yeah, well, I think I'm excited to watch Greenwood. I just think he's he's such a great great young player, and I feel I feel terrible for him on the one hand that he wasn't able to take his place potentially in the Euro squad because of the injury. But I actually think long term it will do him the world of good, and I think he should be ready now to come in. He's got this chance with Rashford not not being available for a while. Cavani will probably need rotation. This is his chance now. I think to go out and grab grab the the, the chance by the scruff of the net in, in a way. I think he's almost been a bit of a forgotten man recently and I think that's probably a good thing for him because a bit of the pressure and the spotlight is off and he can just go out and enjoy his football and I, I yeah just another player that I can't wait to to watch yeah absolutely right we're gonna have to wrap up we're gonna go without predictions because as we said he's just gonna be carnage so no predictions from us but thank you very much for listening to episode one of series seven of the Manchester United weekly podcast for the 2021-22 season we're delighted to be back and absolutely can't wait thank you for listening for a bonus Q&A which we're about to go and record you can become a patron of the show 
go to our Twitter, which is at UTD Weekly Pod. That's P-O-D at the end there. Go to there and you can find out information about how to become a patron, but also you can find information about how to join our Fantasy Premier League team. The code is IL. WW6H and there'll be cash prizes for the top three. And remember, if you enjoy the show, leave us a review on Apple or anywhere else you can. It's always a massive help. Uh, for more from me and Jack throughout the week, you can find me on Twitter at Harry Robinson 64 and you can find Jack at UTD Tate T-A-I-T. Cheers all. Enjoy Saturday. Make the most of it because we've waited a long time for this. Goodbye. Network. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.